my team was the first ones in at the very beginning of Iraq. The first mission we go on, we just get lit up in all these helicopters. Everything's just pinging through and you yeah. see holes opening up. There's just tracer fire everywhere and aircraft fire over it. My helo didn't lose anybody. The uh, helo next to us, there was a crew gunner that was shot in the head. And then one of the Rangers getting off one of the Blackhawks was shot. But you've trained so much that you're putting that all in the back of your head. And you're like, okay, what's the next piece of the mission? You're always yeah. like kind of hyper-focused. That was my first time seeing some of the consequences of war. And how you react to it is you just keep moving on you've done so much training in such a realistic way that it's almost easier in a sense. The way you practice should be way harder than the game. Right. When you get in the game, it should be easier than the than hardest practice. practice you've had. We have a saying in the SEAL teams, it's a commitment to action. If you go half-assed, you're going to get hurt. If you don't give it your full effort, you will get injured. It's the same in business. Once you commit to a line, you commit to it. Don't go into it half-assed. <laughs> We stand today. This is Method with method. a shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring over 500 episodes of entrepreneurs and high-performance experts dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. We've been fortunate enough to interview some of the leading experts in business and performance today. The billionaire CEO of Priceline, Jeff Hoffman, the CEO of Chipotle, Monty Moran, world's top big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, the first black woman to build a billion dollar company, Janet Halroyd, world's top investment expert, Jim Rogers, and the list goes on and on. All of these guests you can find on the podcast backlog using Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and any podcast app you prefer. Also, you guys, have you started listening to our micro high performance episodes yet? We've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 interviews that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to 10 minutes long. We publish these on Monday and Friday each week, and those episodes are labeled as HP number 123456 and so on. Those episodes are live now, and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content while you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered as soon as they're live. And now, let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Hey listeners, real quick before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex Hermosi, the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster. You can learn more about our community at thebusinessmethod.com. Remember, subscribe to stay updated. And now, let's hop into today's show. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. For 20 years, our guest today served in the most elite special operations force in the world, the U.S. Navy SEALs. He is a decorated veteran who planned, led, and executed hundreds of special operations in more than 40 countries on five continents. He was involved in some of the most significant and defining special operations miss missions of our time. He led the ground assaults on the Iraqi paramilitary stronghold to conduct the first successful U.S. prisoner of war rescue since World War II. 
Years later, in the jungles of Colombia, he played a key role in the planning and execution of the successful rescue of U.S. and Colombian personnel held for over five years in captivity by the FARC. He has briefed the Secretary of Defense, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, Director of the CIA, Director of the NSA, Director of National Intelligence, members of the National Security Council, as well as ambassadors. With 20-plus years of tactical, operational, and strategic knowledge as a leader on the front lines, he is now the co-founder at Zundis Global, which helps organizations and individuals increase performance, leadership, and innovation. His name is Commander David Sears, and he's on the podcast today. Dave, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Chris? Good. Um, I have to ask a question because I heard this on a podcast, and you may know the podcast after I ask the question, but I heard that um, that if you're a Navy SEAL and you make it to the age of 40, you're, you're one of the, the biggest badasses in the Navy SEALs. And I'm just, and that's just what I hear say from what I heard. Is this true? Do you agree with this, Dave? I don't know. You know, the whole, you like to stay humble. So there's a piece of, you're, when you're surrounded by other people at such an elite level, it, it becomes the norm. So you yeah. don't really think outside of it. I wasn't introduced to that until I retired in 2013 and I was 40 something. And then you start to get exposed to other people and you realize, whoa, I was really, really with a high caliber of team there. So yeah, yeah you might be a badass, but you're a broken one. Uh, mm, <laughs> you know, physically, fair. it takes its toll. Fair. Well, how old are you now? Because you don't look too much 50. over. Like, are you? Okay, you look pretty good. Yeah, I, I would say like late forties. That would be my guess. So there you go. Yeah. So I, I, I can relate in a way because I think like I've been an entrepreneur 13, 14 years now. And when you get into the business and entrepreneurial mindset, which you know now as an entrepreneur yourself, you get into this world, and and the more success you create for yourself, the more it becomes a norm. Right. And the ability to generate money or connect with the right people becomes very easy and it becomes kind of a higher level type of mindset for entrepreneurship. And then when you go back to you you may go back home or hang out with some friends from high school or or go to the the real world. Right. And you're kind of shocked. Sometimes you're like, oh, not everybody was is thinking, you know, like that or has that same mindset. And especially if you're engulfed in it, surrounding yourself uh, with those type of people in that mindset on a regular basis. So it would be interesting to hear you talk about what it was like stepping out of the, the, the military and Navy SEAL role from the elite level, going back into the, the real world with a different type of mindset, a different type of thinking. Yeah, it was super interesting. So my first transition was, I think a lot of veterans come out, special operations people come out, and you try to find what you want to do. Some people know right away, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, especially guys who are at the, who don't go to full retirement, guys that get out at the six, eight year point, a lot of them are going into finance. Mm -hmm. And SEALs in particular have had a lot of success on Wall Street. And a couple of guys opened that pathway and they went up and did that. Well, at the 40 plus year point, I'm a little long in the tooth to go start doing that game. Right. Uh, I just, and with a family and you have different priorities. It was difficult to make that sort of transition and find that spot for me. I eventually found a big data firm that was doing some very interesting things. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a super big transition for me because it was still dealing a lot in sort of the secret government spaces in some aspects it flopped after a year. It had been around for about 13 years. So it's an important lesson, you know, that whatever you did yesterday, it's gone. It does not matter. It's yeah. what you do tomorrow. So it flops within the year. And then a guy I was there with becomes my business partner. Later, we were good friends, uh, my last job. And we started up this Zoom Disc Global. It's an idea to do consulting. And one of the things that we did was we had had real success in this company uh, that was kind of just undermined. And then also back in special operations, we'd had a lot of success with addressing complex problems different than anybody else was. Right. And so we were getting rid of this linear sort of mindset, this idea of I find an endpoint and I work backwards from there. Hmm. And so it 
took some thinking to do this and how are we doing it. It took some iterations of going through what is a complex problem set, what's a complicated problem set, what are the tools to address each. But a lot of this we'd already done. And so we thought it was very obvious thinking. And when we brought it to people, started holding workshops on how to do it, we initially thought the response would be, okay, yeah, this is how everybody thinks. And what we found was no, nobody not thinks so this way. Not yeah. so much. It was one in a hundred, maybe one percent, or maybe two, three percent were capable of this critical thinking or understood how to do it and incorporate creative thinking and address complex problem sets, play yeah. the infinite game. I was pretty stunned at the lack of critical thinking skills. Not that people didn't want to, but they hadn't been taught how to, and it's been drummed out of us a lot. Right. And even I've seen this as like given the opportunity to, you know, because I think when somebody comes in as a role or an employee for an organization, at first they kind of want, you know, they're trained and they want things laid out for them on how to do X, Y, and Z. And then maybe just out of the manager or the owner of the company being too busy, doesn't have time to go back and say, oh, you can, you have flexibility with this. So actually I have a, a good friend. We were talking about this yesterday. He has an employee that does a lot of the finances and spreadsheets and stuff. And she was uh, calculating the finances with pen and paper for years, which took her about eight hours out of each month. And he was like, y you know, you can use spreadsheets for this and then calculate all the numbers. And then it's just like automatic. And she was like, yeah, but I don't know how to, you know, it's not my thing. I don't know how to, and this was a woman that worked for her, him for years. And he like put her on the spreadsheets and, you know, calculated the numbers and it took 10 minutes. Like then eight hours went down to 10 minutes, just like that. Right. Um, but then he was just busy doing his thing, you know, growing his business and his company. And he didn't have the time or nobody saw the opportunity to come back and say, Hey, try something different. Like practice something different. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to kind of talk more about your, your military career and um, go back to the early days. As a youngster, where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in Colorado. Junior high and high school was Colorado, but then okay. I was, before that, I was in the East Coast, Philly and uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. When did you first hear about the Navy SEALs? Because this was 80s, 90s, 80s? Yeah I, yeah, I graduated high school in 89. Okay. So the... You know, probably early on, probably in grade school or junior high, I was reading all sorts of, you know, spy novels and things like that. Mm -hmm. Robert Ludlum, um, you read like Mac Bull. I don't know if anybody was like this Mac Bolin series and there's all these sort of different. So I was always reading that stuff. I was reading books on Vietnam. It was there and it always intrigued me. It was just a. That and the Special Forces, the Green Berets also were, any special unit was very intriguing to me. It wasn't, you know, marching on the line and just kind of, I didn't see it as sort of a mass lemmings off the cliff. Not okay. that that's what they do, but <laughs> I wanted to be, um, I was always way more of an independent thinker. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in a smaller unit. I wanted to be an elite unit. Th those things attracted me. And then the the outdoor side of it, the activity, the athleticism in it, the the variety in it. So when you looked at the SEAL teams, right? Like, well, these guys, they scuba dive, they swim, they're in the surf, they're on the land, they're mm -hmm. working with guns, explosives, they're jumping out of plane. Like these guys are doing everything. This is all, you know. Okay, yeah. I want to do that expert generalist. I want to be the polymath. I want to do all those things, but in a small elite unit. Yeah. So it was very attracting to me. So anyway, right. I had really good grades. It was always just a priority to me. I enjoyed learning and balanced that with athletics and everything else. So I started looking around, what am I going to do? And I looked at the service academies as a way, hey, this is a great way. I can go into the military. I can get four or five years experience after that, then kind of figure out what I want to do. But it's a good jumping off point, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you have to go through all this congressional and senatorial recommendation process to get in the academies. Uh, I applied to 
the Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy. Air Force, I got denied. It will, I got all the Senator recommendations and all that, but ultimately I didn't make the cut. Uh, my eyes weren't 2020 vision. So they're okay. looking for pilots. Okay. Navy, same thing, but I got an alternate there. So most alternates get in. So they fly me out for a visit and you go out there for four days or so and you see what it's like and all this. Yeah, that was not for me. There was no possible way. It was way too military. <laughs> There's like people okay. in uniform the whole time marching around, yelling at each other. And there was a lot of, uh, I've always been a very self-motivator. I didn't need Siskoom bomb, big pump and circumstance and false motivation sort of things. Right. That, that's what I considered it. But so I went, I'm definitely not coming here. I, I won't survive here. This isn't yeah. for me. But I knew the military is still a good option. And ROTC, a reserve officer training corps officers, offers scholarships as well. So I went that route. And then during that route, I didn't think I could go to the SEAL teams because I didn't have 20-20 vision. I'd made this, you know, here's a mistake. You know, we make assumptions a lot of times that the assumptions we make, we think are facts or they turn into facts in our heads and we don't go back and look at them. And it had just become a fact in my head that I needed 2020 vision and my vision had faded. So I was like, I'm going to go explosive ordnance disposal or diver or something like that. in the Navy, I'll do my four years and get out. Then I met a, my roommate's stepbrother had gotten out of the SEAL teams. He'd done like four or five years and was going to Harvard med mm-hmm. and I was going to Boston university and we met and partied together. He's like, why aren't you going to the seal teams? It's all this other stuff. I'm like, well, I didn't think I could. I don't have, he's like, you don't need 2020. (laughs) So I'm like, Oh, light bulb goes on. Okay. Now I've got my new path. Here we go. And then, you know, five days after I graduated college, I was at uh, out in Coronado undergoing starting seal training. Wow. So that, from then on, that's all I really knew. What type of kid were you? Were you pretty active? What's Were you playing sports? Were you outdoors a lot? I was, yeah. So I was a three-season sport guy. So I had the opportunity, you know, I played every single season. I played a different sport. Yeah. And then during the summer, I'd either, when I was younger, I'd play a sport or I would work. So then I'd, as I got older and able to drive, then I'd start working and make extra money and do that stuff. But yeah. And then I was always outside. It was Colorado. So you're always running around outside, biking, um, you know, hiking, going to the mountains, skiing, all sorts of stuff like that. So did you, did you stand out like your athletic abilities uh, when you were a kid or even stand out amongst the group? Or did you feel like you were just kind of an average kid growing up? I'm sure there's many different elite performers, but I'm always curious, like how, you know, what they were like when they were young, if they were, were standing out or they were, were rejected by the other kids, which then gave them more fuel to be a elite performer in the long run. Hey, real quick to the listeners out there. I want to ask you something. What are you doing to optimize your day-to-day performance and productivity levels? You know, guys, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and we're always trying to learn more and more about how each and every one of us can optimize our performance. The reason why I'm asking you is because today our show is sponsored by the good folks at Seize. Seize is a mental wellness company that aims to empower entrepreneurs and high performers with supplements to enhance their productivity and minimize their pain points. Flow is their flagship product, which is a ready-to-drink powder that comes in a 30-day stick pack that works as an energy and focus enhancer. Flow was created to improve your focus, increase your alertness, enhance your creativity so you can tackle the prime tasks of the day while staying in a creative flow state. On top of that, there are no energy crashes with their product flow, which means an improved mood and enthusiastic approach to business. These benefits are a supreme advantage for entrepreneurs and high performers to sustain their performance on a regular basis. Flow is an instant and sustained boost. It can be a replacement or enhancement for coffee so you no longer require many cups per day to combat lethargy and the sluggish part of the day just to stay on top of things. Flow will give you what you need to get your brain cells firing so you can optimize your work results, hit your goals, and spending time with loved ones so you can seize each and every day. 
When you sign up for Seize's VIP list, you get first access and can receive 50% off the pre-launch offer, you guys. That is half off during this pre-launch offer. Just head over to Seize.life forward slash the business method. That's Seize, S-I-I-Z, Seize.life forward slash the business method to get your discount. We'll put all the links in the show notes, you guys. And now let's hop back into the interview. So no, I was, what was not. It like? no, you were not. I wasn't an athletic standup. I, I was... I was on a grind. Yeah. So it was a grind to make the team. And I didn't mature until later. I didn't get bigger until later, until after high school. Mm -hmm. So I was always a little bit behind the power curve of the guys who had matured earlier. And I'd make all the teams and be on them. Eventually, like senior year, I eventually tapped out of basketball. I didn't have easy success. And I wasn't, I was very athletic, well-rounded in all the sports, but not top guy you know okay. so you you worked you had you had to work to make the team you had to work to get a starting position on the team it just never came like natural yeah those physical pieces weren't there and um i think you see that reflected in the guys who come through buds a lot of our, our buds is seal training basically right. water demolition seal training the guys who've had failure and adversity and had to grind are the guys who make it through okay. the guys who are top rock stars. They, they have a hard time. They struggle, huh? They struggle because it doesn't matter what you do there. They're going to make you fail. Yeah. You can't do the whole idea is to make you fail. Yeah. So that you're confronted with adversity. You think you've done everything right. And an instructor will say, Nope, that's wrong. Yeah. Like that. I did it last, this way last time. Yeah. And these guys couldn't cope with it. They're like, I'm so frustrated. You're like, you don't understand the game that's being played here. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. You're not, this game is rigged. You're uh -huh. not going to win. So deal with it. That's what they want to see. And some guys couldn't get that. They had to win everything. Mm. And when they didn't, they had never been, I think some of them confronted with failure earlier in their lives that they had to overcome. And so they had a really hard time dealing with it and they collapsed. Yeah. After you went through training and you're going out on your first mission, what was that feeling like for you? Because I think like as a guy and as a man, we're kind of, we like action movies. We like war movies and we always kind of wonder how we would handle ourselves in that situation. And, and then like I'm into martial arts as well. And so you get a little bit more confidence when you start training like that. And then you go and sometimes you use those and sometimes you don't, hopefully you don't have to. Right. right. But after, after training like that, what was your, your feeling going into your first mission and, and then how did it, how did it end up? How'd you end up afterwards? You feel good about, like your experience or feel good about like how you performed on your very, your very first time. Yeah, I did. So I come in an interesting point in the teams, right? Mm -hmm. Is this is early nineties. There's plenty of little wars going on in the world, but none that we're really actively participating in right. and shooting. So you have this period of time where you're not in a shooting war. Okay. Where you're actively doing the shooting. Um, you're exposed to it a lot. You know, I had a lot of time I spent down in Colombia during that time. And obviously mm -hmm. Colombia is at war. Yeah. But, and so we would go down there and advise their people. And this is where you get your first exposure to what's going on. And you're always in this danger zone. Things can go wrong at any minute. Right. Um, so you're always kind of on edge. And I remember flying in once and we flew down into the jungle and we were going to stay at this little jungle fire base for, I mean, it reminded you of all the movies you've seen in Vietnam, everything. That's what it looked like. I remember that going through my head. You're like, this is wow. And right. you're flying in on an old Huey. That's the Colombian, uh, Colombian national police have the old Huey things that you saw in Vietnam and you're flying over this jungle at low level and you're sitting there with your feet dangling over. And then we start getting shot at the guys start shooting back and we're shooting, you know, some guys on the ground, they off, they run and you're like, Whoa, mm -hmm. okay. This is interesting. This is real. Right. And then you get on the ground and 
you're worried about getting overrun at times. We get ambushed every now and then, but you're not actively really engaged in it. You're always yeah. like kind of hyper-focused and hoping it doesn't happen. But that was my first time seeing some of the consequences of war because a lot of the guys, the Colombians were killed in ambushes. They we'd bring them back or help them get out of there. Or, and we had a lot of that going on. So you're seeing these consequences of war and you're like, okay, this is really interesting. Got it. And how you react to it is you just keep moving on, you know, and then yeah. fast forward. Really the first shooting war that I'm into is Iraq. So okay. my team was the first ones in at the very beginning of Iraq. So it was an interesting time because it was still, it wasn't like the insurgency. If you go fast forward to 2006, eight, 10, it was still really a war against a, nation state that had tanks and anti-aircraft guns and it wasn't at that time it wasn't all the you know ieds and things like that and booby traps and so the first one there the first mission we go on uh we're flying up north kind of behind behind the established lines already and we just get lit up in all these helicopters hmm. so we're coming we had a lot of helicopters a lot of people coming in and everything's just pinging through you start hearing this pinging sound right you're like what is that you're like oh shit i think that's rounds hitting the helo and you yeah. see holes opening up and you can look out the windows and we're flying at about 25 feet and there's just tracer fire everywhere and aircraft fire over it and we have jets coming in and hitting those positions so there's fire where you're like huh okay but you've trained so much that you're putting that all in the back of your head and you're like, okay, what's the next piece of the mission? I'm getting intelligence from the helicopter crew. It's being relayed to me and I'm writing it on a little whiteboard for my guys to see. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, there are 20 dudes on target, you know, plan is still good coming in from the South, you know, a team go change to the North or whatever, you know, and you're writing these little things on a little called a, a loom board, just a tiny little whiteboard that's illuminated and showing them, you know, 10 minutes out, five minutes out, the uh, landing zone's hot, you know, mm -hmm. so guys know. And everybody's kind of, okay. And this is most of the guys' first time as well. And just lit up the whole way in. You know, my helo didn't lose anybody. The uh, helo next to us, there was a crew gunner that was shot in the head, and then one of the rangers getting off one of the Blackhawks was shot getting off. Mm -hmm. So you have all this going on too. Right. And then... On top of it all, we're all in chem bio gear because it was chem bio target. So you're like, this is great. I can't see. I'm breathing through all this. Stuff. Okay, you just go. But you've trained so much that you just go through with your training. And when I got done with that mission and we came off, um, I was like, okay, what's the what's the next mission? Wow. This is. But you you've done so much training in such a realistic way that it's almost not it's almost easier in a sense you know it's like you i tell my son this you know your practice the way you practice should be way harder than the game right you get in the game it should be easier than the in hardest practice, practice you've had yeah. and then you add in i mean in practice we we don't have as many deaths obviously but so that adds a new factor of how do you compartmentalize that how do you deal with that and that's just something you have to do. You have to have a job that you do and you kind of compartmentalize it and you deal with it later. What's one way that really works for you that is, you know, when, when we're in an intense situation and you can feel it like the emotions and the intensity creeping up on you or coming at you really fast, any tips on like how to, control that before it gets too far and you see red and, and you lose control of, of those emotions? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I am a believer in the breathing piece, try and take a couple of deep breaths and just chill that whole system out, that parasympathetic system, get that thing reengaged and sit there and just go, okay, we're good to we're calm that down, calm that down. A couple of deep breaths, trying to I mean, physically trying to open your eyes wider. You know, try and open them up, 
and see, open your mouth up, get your deep breaths in and overcome that sort of adrenaline rush or whatever you're getting and sit there and then start to focus, then focus on the problem at hand, not think uh, a lot of people get engaged in what could be the consequences rather than the problem at hand. Okay. So try and narrow that focus down. You're, you still want wide vision, seeing the whole problem, but focus on that problem, not what could happen, what might happen. Yeah. Go, hey, I'm going to control what I can control, you know, influence what I can. And then the rest I'm going to navigate as it comes at me. Yeah. And so a couple of deep breaths. I mean, I still use this to, to this day, or I try to, I mean, I fail at it all the time, but I try to with my kids, you know, I, I get pissed and I'll be like, okay, I just need 10, <laughs> nine, eight, you know, um, try and just calm that down. Just that counting backwards from 10 can start to calm that thing down, you know, yeah. and just kind of going through it and then start and then make sure that you move, that you start acting, doing, you don't want to do the wrong thing, but you don't want to freeze. You, you have got to start getting action going, even if yeah. it's that split second where you just kind of, kind of calm everything down, but acting and doing something rather than sitting there and you'll see, you know, we call it get off the X. So the X is the ambush spot. Okay. And that's the kill zone is the X. So you want to catch other people in that. You don't want to be caught in it. So right. when we talk about it, it's a physical spot, but it's also a mental spot that you can create your own X and get stuck on that. Move off of it. So you can physically move, mentally move, start taking some actions that are sort of in the right direction and then going off of those. But just being frozen is going to get you nowhere. Yeah. So, couple of deep breaths and then start going and go back to your fundamentals too. Right. So that's a huge piece of when in your training, the fundamentals and it's huge in business. If you're getting confused by all this data that's out there, everything else, go back to some fundamental valuations. I know we're throwing a lot of that shit out these days, but um, it still applies though. And there's still basic things like, most businesses should be making a profit when I go look at them, you know, or if I'm investing here, yeah. Hey, there's some basic underlying fundamentals here. Your revenue doesn't match or whatever it is, but in martial arts, you have some basic fundamentals. I knew some guys who were very good. Well, here's a good example. Um, Ronda Rousey, mm -hmm. right? She had an arm bar. Like that was the move. It's a, basic fundamental, you know, it's a basic fundamental of submission, jujitsu or judo, either one. Yeah. She went to that fundamental base movement, perfected it. So go back to your fundamentals. When everything gets really chaotic and confusing, go back to those good fundamentals and then move on from there. I'd like to talk about, I'm, I'm really into human growth and, and going through experiences where people, their mindset is shifted. And you can go to a conference sometimes or travel the world and go to another country, right? And go to a very poor country and it shifts your mindset. You can go to a seminar, Tony Robbins seminar or something like that, it shifts your mindset. I'm curious if there, Dave, was a mission that you went on that, that you can talk about that really shifted your perspective of life or who you are as an individual or how you see the world, or even how you see you interacting in the world? I think that there were, there's some that made me more cynical, and there's mm -hmm. others that reinforced, uh, got you out of kind of what the status quo thinking. So we did one in Iraq where um, it was a pretty complex one and we were trying to catch this terrorist and it was near sort of just south of Baghdad and my team ended up going down we had two teams in different locations one was taking down a farm area compound that was possibly this guy's house and then 
we were looking at this apartment complex, uh, more like townhouses. And we had narrowed down to one or two townhouses based on certain intelligence, things like that. So we go hit those and there's nothing. There's, it's a, there's a bad guy in there. Probably he has a gun, you know, we take him into custody or whatever you want to call it, but we report back and say, Hey, this is, it's, no, it's a dry hole, meaning okay. dry hole means there's no, the guy we're looking for is not here. Okay. And our seniors our higher ups say, no, that's not, that's not possible. You guys reported that you had a passport that you found. Why aren't you, you got to keep searching. Okay. And we, we didn't report we had a passport. What, what are you talking about? Passport well, being a, an actual physical passport that we had found this guy's passport. Oh, okay. We're gotcha. like, oh, we don't know where you got that from. We didn't report that. And they immediately kind of knee jerk and say, Hey, yes, you did. So we're not arguing. We're not going to keep arguing over the radio. We're just like, we, we didn't, we don't know how else to tell you this. Well, they were getting reports from the farmhouse that had found it. It was a totally separate location, different team. They're confusing it with us. We mm -hmm. don't know this at the time. So they tell us to go clear the rest of the block. This is like 40 townhomes that are three stories tall. We've got like 20 guys. Mm. It gets to be a very dangerous prospect. Yeah. <laughs> so you get spread very thin. And as we're doing this, it, it kind of starts to become surreal a little bit. We're trying to do it in the safest way we can organize it but the people are actually very compliant and we're super nice and they come out and they're like trying to help work because we busted down the first couple of doors and they're like stop kind of a community leader comes out and goes i wish stop breaking down doors uh -huh. we're like well stop locking doors you know <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know what to tell you and so he's like i'll have everybody organize the women in the rooms so they'll be in one spot and then i'll have make sure that all the doors are open and you guys come in and they're you're free to search and do all that you know yeah. And you go, we go in and I'm like on the fourth or fifth place. And I look up on the wall and there's a picture of George Bush up on this guy's wall, you know, and he's pointing, he's like, yeah, giving a big thumbs up. Uh -huh. It's all the whole community was like a Coptic Christian community. Okay. And they were hiding it in the middle of Baghdad. And then I get a call that says, mm -hmm. Hey, we need an interpreter. Come over here. We need a linguist. So I grab one of my guys. I'm like, Hey, go over there. Uh, they need a linguist talk. And they're like, no, 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 we need a Spanish linguist. I'm like, this is get, just getting weirder and weirder as we kind of progress through this whole thing. Right. And so I spoke Spanish and I run over there and I'm like, what? And it's some, this guy's a professor who, who's from Spain who teaches at the University of Baghdad or whatever. <laughs> so you're in there in the middle of Baghdad with kind of smoke around different areas and things burning and speaking Spanish to this guy who's a big fan of George Bush. Uh -huh. I look over one of my guys is walking down the street with, you know, flowers in his vest that somebody had given him or something. One of the families had given him I'm like, what, what are we doing? You know? And it kind of makes you think back and go, what, what is happening here? Why right. are we doing this? And so then it, that didn't impact me till later, but you start thinking more and more. And so later on, as I had some more of these missions or watched how things progressed, I started going, what, what is, and then as I lost more friends and things like that, you just start asking, what, what is the purpose of this? What are we trying to achieve? And so we're more than willing to go do our jobs and fight around the world, but you saw a different layer, a higher up layer that, didn't know where it was going. Okay. It was just kind of turning and it, and it kind of sours you a little bit and you go, what, what is the purpose of this? And it was never truly defined. And the same thing kind of happened in Afghanistan. So you sour on it. You're like, look, I, this is, I'll, I'll fight for freedom and for a cause, but you're not showing me that you're not showing me progress. Right. You're not bringing us along. You're giving me, and I would see a lot of things were very hypocritical. Mm -hmm. And I think that hypocrisy really destroys trust. And mm -hmm. the teams and the military, it wasn't happening within the teams, but it was happening outside of our sphere. And you just saw a lot of um, 
it made you a little bit cynical, I think, watching some of these things go on. Yeah. You continue to, to go, you know, you had a 20 year career yeah. with the military. Did you ever doubt in what you were doing? You know, well, it sounds like you may have got some of that, but you know, if you, if you have some of that doubt come up, how do you keep going? I think that what you do is you reframe what you're doing and why you're doing it. Okay. So now it becomes about your brothers and sisters that are beside you. Okay. You know, and it becomes about your team and I'm not going to abandon this team. I'm going to be with this team the whole time regardless. And it's okay. The mission may not always be the best, but it's our job to go do this, execute it at the highest level possible and make sure that we try and get everybody back and we do things honorably. Mm. So then it becomes a little more internal focus on the team than external. Like I'm changing the world. Uh, I'm not under any illusion probably not changing the world. Um, yeah. And there's things that you could do to, that we could have done to change it and do things differently. But it's, uh, you just realize the large role that politics and bureaucracy and how damaging it can be and how many other external influences there are. So that also, as I got up higher, I started looking at more of this, that would be more my introduction to systems thinking of like, what are all these complex factors that are at play? Yeah. As I started doing more strategic things, you got to take all these things into account. Who's trying to do what? Why are things being driven? They're not just happening randomly. So there are external factors that are at work. There are people have other motivations, people in power. Who are they? Organizations in power. What are they trying to get to? And that then carried over and applied to everything that I was doing. Yeah. Everything's just a bunch of systems butting heads with one another, right? Like one governmental system with another governmental system, one military with another military. It's like, it is, it is. one religion with another religion, systems, systems, systems. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But it's never ending and you can get, yeah. what I'll find is I try and teach people or introduce them to the systems thinking idea is they'll easily get overwhelmed yeah, and they'll go, it is, it's everything's too, well, you still have to bound a problem. So that's an important piece of it, right? You bite off the piece of the system that you want, have an awareness that there's other pieces outside of your system, but try and figure out a way to bound it so that you're dealing with pieces that you can deal with, yeah. with the full awareness that there's other pieces. Because like you said, it's this, this religion on this one and this system on top of this system, there's a political system and a governmental system and there's the nation state system and there's the finance system and the arms trade. Ugh, people will just forget it, mm -hmm. ignore it and just then act randomly. Yeah. And when you act randomly, you're going to get random results. Some might be good. Some might be bad, Yeah. but it's never going to be consistent or predictable in any way. So what you want to do is try to have, the best appreciation of the system that you can. And then you're able to take sort of an informed approach to your actions to get you towards the favorable future that you want. Yeah. I think too, what's really helped me, Dave is, is understanding that, you know, if there's a imposed threat of something, my business or, or career or whatever's happening, that the threat is really some form of a system coming at me and it, it helps me realize that it's just uh, two systems butting heads and that there's there's always a solution you've got to you got to do your best to find that solution if possible but it helps remove the emotional connection to it like not a personal say if you're you're in a business partnership with somebody and there's a disagreement and he has one system of thinking and you have another system of thinking and then it's not necessarily a personal challenge that's coming up or engagement against one another or their personality or the way they think. It's just two different systems of thinking coming together and not being in coherence at that time. Okay, so I want to talk about your book. So Dave has a new book called Smarter Not Harder, which is a great title because all entrepreneurs can learn more about working smarter, not harder. And it's very difficult for a lot of us quite often. And you have 17 Navy SEAL maxims to elevate critical thinking and prosper in business and life. Can you take us through some of those maxims, some of maybe your favorite ones that we can digress sure. or dissect? Sure. So I'll, I'll lay out the premise of the book first was okay. it's 
it's meant to be digested very easily. You can, you don't have to read in any order. And the idea of the, these things are sort of all these maxims are, they can act as anchors just to change your thinking. And I give people some ideas. There's no magic pill in here. It's just the start of a journey. It's meant to be semi entertaining, take some seal stories, relate how those maxims work for me and how I viewed them. Like you said, there's different viewpoints and then how they relate to kind of business and life. So we start off with say smarter, not harder. The important caveat that goes along with this is that the hard work is presumed. It's a prerequisite. Okay. You're going to get, you have to work hard. You have to do these things. The idea is that on top of that, you have to be smart at working hard. And what are you going to do? Where can you do your efficiencies? We were, you know, talking earlier that Excel spreadsheets or mm -hmm. when do you, how do you automate? How do you take advantage of some technologies that are out there? So the smarter, not harder portion is thinking different than others, gathering different viewpoints and perspectives, looking at things from a systems perspective so that you can differentiate, get outside of the status quo. If you follow everybody else, you're going to get the same results as they are, but lagging. So get outside of that, you know, look at, different ways to do things, open up your scope. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the introduction, the premise, the whole idea is to think a little bit different and deeper. And some of okay. these things will get you there. Let's take one that's, um, so we have a saying in the SEAL teams, it's how we execute targets, how we take actions is we use speed, surprise, and violence of action. Okay. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? We try and hit things as quick as we can you know, overwhelm them with force and violence. And we want to do it at night or coming through a side door, coming through the roof or sneak through the water. So all those elements we want. Well, that's pretty obvious. You know, I can take you through a target and talk to you how we do that. Right. Um, you practice all those elements. How does that, you know, I go tell a businessman or an entrepreneur, Okay, speed, surprise, and violence of action. He's like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? No. Okay, so let's translate it. Speed really means velocity. Okay. So we say speed, but speed's kind of a misnomer as well. In mathematics, speed doesn't have a vector component. Velocity has a vector component. So think about your car. If your engine is... You start up your engine, the car's in neutral, and it's spinning at 5,000, 6,000 RPMs. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of speed happening in that car. Until you put the car in gear, you have no velocity, right. no vector component. So even if you're turning at 100 RPMs and the car's in gear, you're going faster than the person with their foot on the gas and the car in neutral. And you'll find a lot of businesses do this. A lot of people work hard, spin, 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 but they're in place. They're on a hamster wheel. They're, they don't have a direction that they want to go. So make sure that you know a general direction, an azimuth that you're navigating towards, right? So you're kind of doing that check. Make sure you know sort of the goals, what's your desirable future, and the direction you want to go. Surprise equates in the business world and in life to creativity. Hmm. You need to get outside of your box, not follow the status quo, do something different. You need to explore different options. You need to do iterations in order to get out there and figure out a different way, differentiate yourself. That's the creativity. What are you solving for? not just taking somebody else's thing. I mean, we're not Chinese. Don't take just, I'm just gonna take your thing and mass produce it cheaper. That only works in certain environments. So we have velocity, creativity, and the last one is commitment to action. So instead of violence of action, it's a commitment to action. You know, for the guys that have played sports and athletics, I'll give you the analogy there is everybody has experienced this. who's played at some relatively higher level if you go half-assed, you're going to get hurt. 
if you don't give it your full effort, you will get injured. You know, it's the same in business. Once you commit to a line, you commit to it. And in life, once you commit to a path, commit to that action. Now, that doesn't mean you're not reevaluating along the way and you're not just blinded by that, but commit to it, not don't go into it half-assed. So that one translates over, you know, speed, surprise, violence of action becomes velocity, creativity, and commitment to action. Okay. And if you follow those kind of precepts, it can keep you on that line. Um, what else? There's another one. How about another one's a good one is nothing lasts forever. So this one gets taught to you right out the gate and seal training. You're going to do the first phase of training is called conditioning phase, which is it's such a nice way of saying, we're just going to hammer the shit out of you and we're going to make you miserable as hell. We're going to make you cold, wet, tired, push you physically where you've never been pushed, meaning then we're going to push you mentally. Right. And so what they will tell you is, Hey, nothing lasts forever. Like you're going to be a famous thing that they do is called surf torture. You, you get it done to you all the time. They're probably calling it something else now because torture is not acceptable or something, but that's what they called it when I was there. So you would, as a class, you'd link arms and you'd march into the surf and you get to about calf deep, knee deep. They'd have you turn around, link arms, and they'd say, take seats. You sit down and you just sit there in the cold Pacific ocean and waves just crashing into you kind of smaller and you just sit there and they'll tell you to lay down and you just lay down while waves are crashing over you. You're getting filled with sand and just freezing. And that's all you're going to do is just lay there and freeze until they decide they're tired and they'll tell you, Hey, we're not leaving until somebody quits. Well, inevitably somebody quits or later on as you go through farther, somebody won't quit and you're, it's not going to last forever. And so you look at that. And so that gets drilled into your head. And as you get to hell week, it becomes more important. Guys will go from some guys cope differently. Some guys try to go day to day. That's pretty rare. You, you don't see that. Most guys are going to try to go like evolution or go like meal to meal. Okay, nothing lasts forever. The next thing that breaks up this hell is the next meal. And then I'll deal and get to the next meal. Some guys go evolution to evolution. So that may mean whatever. There might be a run and then some uh, an obstacle course and they might just go ever. I'm going to make it minute to minute. And the behind that is nothing lasts forever. The discomfort you're feeling is not going to last forever. And so you carry that into, you know, I equated the, the analogies to sailing is that when there's a storm, it's not going to last forever. Okay. There is a way out of this, but I like to flip it on its head as well. And I realize this later on in life is that this doesn't just apply to the pain and discomfort. This applies to the fair weather and the good stuff as well. And your family, it really changed my perspective on how I went about certain things. Like right now, what it's telling you is that time is the most precious commodity you have. I don't care how wealthy you are. You cannot buy more time. You can't go back. So when I look around at my kids, this time is very important to me. So I measure what else I do because I can't go back and say, and I met a lot of people, very successful, older, who hear this, I wish I had spent more time. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to wish I had done that. So that good time, these years, like with my kids, are not going to last forever either. So make sure that when you're in the calm, when you're in the good, the good days, the sun's out and you know, the weather's perfect, that you're really taking advantage of that as well to make gains. And the bottom line behind the whole thing is when you look at both the fair weather and the stormy weather is that the only constant is change. Yeah. And it goes back to control what you can control, influence what you can influence, and then navigate. Take advantage to make gains during the good time shore up during the bad time, make sure you're prepared for those bad times, but they're not going to last forever. We yeah. always project into the future that the state I'm in now is somehow going to be constant, right? It's not, it, it will change. It will get better. Your heartache, whatever it may be, your time is like a small business entrepreneur who's 
starting out that's doing 120 hour weeks, it's like, dude, what am I doing? That is not going to last forever. Yeah. You're going to get out of that mode. You're going to start to learn how to control your time better. But sometimes you need to break that initial friction. And then when it gets better, make sure you're not just back on your laurels. Make sure you're enjoying that time and taking advantage of that time as well. Absolutely. So that's, so that's another one. Um, it's such a great one to fall back on, especially like what we've gone through in business the past couple of years. Actually, everybody's gone through the past couple of years. We um, launched some masterminds right after COVID hit because we knew I'd been through the 08 recession as a new entrepreneur. And, and we knew that things were going to get rough for the newer entrepreneurs that hadn't been through a depression or a recession right. like that. And people were just freaking out. They were so scared. They realized they didn't have a long runway of revenue for their business. And, and we were like, it's going to pass. Don't worry, guys. Like, it's going to pass. Just got to take a breath, right? And relax. Think clearly. Take a step back before you move forward and figure out what's the right path to go down. And, um, and even in the high times, you know, uh, the economy is really good. If you're an online entrepreneur nowadays, over the past couple of years, you've probably made really, really good money. And, uh, this isn't going to last forever either. You know, there's going to be something that happens and changes and wipes it, uh, yeah. wipes it out. And something else is about we'll to deal with something you're, else. You're so right. I start, um, in the last like two years I started, I got with two, uh, small venture capital and private equity firms that I started mm -hmm. going through. So I'm able to pick and choose what deals I want to come on on. And so I've started this learning process of looking at pitch decks and going through different financials and learning about all that. Well, some of the things that we're talking about is some of the guys up top are like, Hey, the, the mergers and acquisitions environment is really good. It's awesome. It's booming. It's going to be great. I'm like, it is right now. Yeah. You're delaying this thing. Why are we waiting? You, you want to wait three more years to see if you can put another hundred million in revenue on this company. Look, we can like right now we can get four X for it. Why are you going to wait two more years to get five X? They're projecting out that the M and a environment is going to be the same. Right. Like, Ooh, maybe protect some capital. We can, there's different ways of structures, but don't assume that because it's good now, yeah. That's going to continue. You see this all the time in um, retail investors in like the real estate market, right? Mm -hmm. Or the, it's, the real estate does nothing but go up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Over 20, 30 years. Uh -huh. In the <laughs> you know, long so term. Yeah. Yeah. Of the real long term. Sure it does. But don't make that mistake, you know, that this is always going to continue. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, constant change. So that's, that is a good one to kind of fall back on. Take that breather, wait. And we talked about some of the other ones already too. Get off the X. We, we hit that a little bit. It's not yeah. just the ambush site, but the more important twist on it. And a lot of these, I try to have a twist on how I view them and how they apply is that you can create your own mental X and get stuck on it. Mm -hmm. You need to, and that can be target fixation. That can be, the, in the book, I use the example like Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. you know, they created this X of profits overall, right? And they sacrificed value and ethics and that filtered down through the company and they started doing all this cross selling and guys started doing things that were way unethical, but mm -hmm. encouraged by the company because the sole focus was on the, the P of the P and L sheet. Right. And and as they saw it running and what did it do there, it killed them because they were solely focused, target fixated on that one piece of the X yeah. that they lost their brand, you know, years of trying to re they're still trying to rebuild that brand and kind of win back trust. So yeah. they took away 40, 50 years of trust and brand development in the space of like a year or two yep. because of a fixation on a single aspect. Yeah. And I don't think they knew, I don't think it was malicious. You know, like you said, it's most often the intent's not malicious. You know, you have a dispute with your business partner or somebody else. Very rarely is it actually malicious. Yeah. It can just be blinders on. Yeah. And so it may appear that way, but I think they had the blinders. And so the idea is get off the X. Yeah. And you get off the X by reevaluating, looking around, you know, 
use, I was doing this for a while, I'll still do it, is help coach guys or take on people, but I'll do a very, very limited number because, like I said, time is extremely precious to me now more than more than money. Yes. Yeah. So the you need a sounding board external to your organization. Somebody who's not as close to the problem as you are. I found this a lot in, especially in the corporate world, even in entrepreneur pieces, it's difficult to see outside of the bubble that you've created, the X that you've created. So you get somebody who's got no stake in it, who's not gonna be, and this is really hard for leaders. Mm -hmm. for CEOs and things to get an honest assessment because again, not malicious, the people under them though are going to, it's human nature. They want to appease the boss to some extent. Um, even if it's not intentional, it's subconscious. And so for him or her to get a true take can be really, really hard. Uh, mm -hmm. And in the worst cases, it's the, emperor has no clothes scenario where you're like, whoa, <laughs> nobody's even said a word. This thing's going off the rails. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And in others, it can just be some improvements that can be made that nobody would consider because you've kind of created this environment of not as much open discourse as you think you have. Yeah. You know what I mean, so that, that kind of get off the X idea. We're going to wrap up here in a bit, Dave. I want to ask you one more question before we do. I love to know your daily habits or routine because in this podcast, we'll make little high-performance clips, and we publish right. those like two to 10-minute clips on Monday and Friday, and then the longer episode we publish on Wednesday. So I like to like get some, some good tips on how do you continually stay as a high performer in your daily routine. Yeah, so I'm not – I will tell you that I'm not rigid. Uh, my okay. schedule is going off of largely my kids. <laughs> so there's things that I work in there and when uh -huh. I can do it, depending on which – athletics or after school activities that they're doing, but I will make sure that I get in at least one workout. Uh, I think physical fitness and your physical health is so important to how you think, what you think, the quality of your thinking, the quality of your life. So I try to do, um, I follow this guy, Andrew Huberman a little bit. He's an interesting oh, yeah. guy. People can go look him up. Yeah. I try to get out in the morning, walk the dog and get sunlight. Right. So I'm usually up right somewhere between 6.30 and 7. Okay. And then try to get up, walk the dog, make breakfast for the kiddos. If my wife travels a lot too for work, so if she's home, I might even go for a run early in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, if my daughter's doing, she does cross country. So all these things vary. If she's not doing cross country, I'll wait and I'll run. Like now, I'll run after school with her. So I try and get into cardio and I try and get in some type of resistance training um, every day, regardless of what it is. Even if it means that I'm going for a bike ride, you know, around the neighborhood or doing whatever, something to move. Yeah. We need movement. We need vitamin D. We need to be outside. So I make a concerted effort to make sure I'm doing that a couple hours a day. Um, that doesn't mean I'm doing, you know, crossfit hit training for two hours or anything like that i'm doing something some movement a couple hours a day uh, and being outside and then i try to take at least one hour out of the day to set aside to read so i'm okay. usually reading a couple books at, at a time so to read an actual book or um then on a less regular basis i do there's a couple of different like online learning courses and I will try and they come in the ones that I look at come in half hour bites. Okay. So it's like a half hour lecture. So I try and do one half hour lecture. So I'm, I'm incorporating learning something new every day, whether okay. it's reading and I try and do it across a diverse, uh, realm too. I don't stick in one sort of spot. And then, um, So those are the three kind of staples. Then after that, I'll do, you know, it depends what I'm doing. Uh, sometimes it's golf or I try and do some other activity. So I'll be out golfing or I'll do paddle boarding or I'll be, and then I'll take a couple hours a day, at least three, four to work on 
parts of one of my lines of business. So I try and have multiple lines of revenue. Mm-hmm. And so then a chunk of the day, depending on what I'm doing, could go towards those. So it'll be like three, four hours either doing working on a website, doing some advertising or marketing, or maybe posting something on LinkedIn or reading something on LinkedIn. Maybe like today when we get off, I'll go, I'll go do my workout. I'll come back and I'm finishing up a presentation for a speech that I'm giving next week. Mm-hmm. So I'll finish that up and kind of clean it up a little bit, get it finalized and then kind of come back to it. By that time, um, the kids will start to roll in. It's Friday. I'll go for a long run with my daughter when she gets back. Not not big long runs anymore. There's they're therapeutic for me now, not uh, physical fitness. Yeah. But we'll do like a five six mile run, something like that. And then then we'll come back. I'll hang out with the boy. You know, make sure that I do a little bit of time with him as well. I'll probably it's Friday, so he's now allowed the weekend to play video games again. Mm-hmm. He's not allowed during the week. So he'll probably try and suck me into a Fortnite game or something. Uh, <laughs> Come on, dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he kind of carries me along in most of that, but it's time together. Yeah. So, you know, workout, physical stuff, learn something new, spend some time with family and the people you care about. And then I try and fit some work stuff in there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> in the free, in your free time, you do work. <laughs> That's yeah. it, exactly. Cool. We're going to wrap up there, Dave. I want to uh, thank you so much for sharing all of your story with us and, and your wisdom and your knowledge that you've picked up over the years. Um, if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where they can find your book, where's the best place they can do that at? Go to dcsears.com. And that's that'll guide you to everything else. That'll There's a link on there that'll take you to my business, Zoomist Global and Chris Thinking. There's a link on there for the books. The book can obviously be found at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those online as well. Yeah. But your your starting point for everything can be dcsears.com. Perfect. All right, my friends. We're going to wrap up there, Dave. Again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.